Welcome to Empire Sports Media, New York Giants podcast, Keeping Up with the G-Men. I'm your host, Alexander Wilson, with my two co-hosts, Anthony Rivardo and Christian Morell. Today, we're going to break down Pat Shermer's comments regarding Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, the wide receivers, specifically the number three spot, the defensive line, and play a little game at the end as usual. To start off, I want to dive right into Pat Shermer's comments today, as I know most people are probably talking and thinking about, what did it mean? And the quote that he had was, was pretty interesting. I'm going to read it off to you guys. So, we're going to play the very best player. Eli Manning is getting ready to, to have a great year, and Daniel Jones is getting ready to play. Eli is the starter, but Daniel must be ready to play an NFL game. And he also further said that Eli is the starter, but that quote alone is pretty different than saying Eli is the starter. It, it's you know a little vague in my, in, in my opinion, and I think that he kind of is pointing in a direction that he wants there to be competition at this position. He wants there to be a competitiveness at the quarterback position, something Eli has never felt going into his 15th season. The heat is on. Even Sterling Shepard said a few weeks ago, you know, Eli is playing. He's practicing harder. He's ramping up his workouts. He feels it. He feels that com- the competition. Daniel Jones is young. He's gunning for that position. And I know Dave Gettleman said they could follow the Green Bay model and he, and he could sit behind Eli for two or three years, but I do not think that's reality. I think that next year this is Jones's team. And I think even this year he, he could earn some, earn some uh, you know, playing time, even if it's garbage time. Th- that experience is invaluable. And I think that, you know, th- that comment that, that Sherman made is very open. It's very, you know, Jones can steal playing time from Eli, and I think that if Eli plays poorly, he can get there. Um, he's preparing. He's made some really good progress so far. We saw him with some jitters in the beginning, but now he's threading the needle, and he's learning how to prepare at an NFL level from a guy that's won two Super Bowls. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes. But do you guys feel that same way? Do you guys feel that, you know, Eli can maintain the starting position? I know the offensive line is being built, um, and it's, it's rebuilt at this point. Um, so, you know, I think that that's a big factor when it comes to Eli staying on the field and succeeding. But do you think that, you know, Jones has a shot here? Yeah, I think the other part of Shermer's quote, the players who give our team the best chance to to win play, that's the most important part of it. If they feel like Daniel Jones is going to win them some games, more games than Eli Manning, then you got to go with Daniel Jones. It's all about winning. So Eli, we've seen him struggle. He said, we've seen Eli do that for a very long time, but the problem is we haven't seen him do it in a long time. He's struggled over the past few seasons, and hopefully the offensive line can keep him going strong or give him a bounce-back season. But if it can't, you got to put Daniel Jones out there. Yeah, and I want to point out another answer he gave. When he, asked, when he was asked about Daniel Jones's offseason, he said, He is on track with the goal to be ready to play day one. And that, to me, totally says that he has a chance. And I think overall Pat Shermer has kind of lightened his stance on the lack of a competition. Right. And, you know, I I honestly think if you draft a guy at number six, he has to be ready to to play day one. There's no, you know, they're playing Dwayne Haskins day one. Uh, Some of these guys, they're, they're starting right off the bat. And if they draft a guy that they don't think can be the starter from the first second of the regular season, then they should not be drafting him in the first round. That's just the reality of the quarterback position, especially when you draft a guy so high. Um, this year is really to increase and refine his skills and to allow him a year to learn behind 
somebody that you know has done it before and has succeeded at this level and that's really the it's just a benefit it's a it's a supreme benefit of having a guy like Eli in front of him they can utilize him before they send him off and he retires or whatever may happen to Eli he, he could end up being the coach of the Giants one day um, I honestly don't think that's possible considering his you know very his lack of personality and lack mm-hmm. of uh, leader I don't, I don't even want to say Eli's not a leader but he doesn't really like ever act like a leader. I never see him rallying the troops. He, you know, he raises his hand sometimes when they score. But <laughs> he's not well spoken. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't even say he's not well spoken. I just don't think he has that like fire in him. Like you, you see Tom Brady like yelling at his offensive lineman um, and like telling them what to do and, and yelling at his offensive coordinator. But if Eli throws a pick or, or someone makes a wrong, uh, runs a wrong route, he just he just walks off the field like. You know, oh shucks, that happened again. You so know, not like, assertive enough. He's not assertive enough, and like that's that's kind of where my concern is with Eli, in the sense that you know, people people don't really respect him for his leadership. They respect him for what he's done in the past, and that's the biggest you know problem with him at this point in his career is that people aren't like, oh, you know. Eli's going to lead this team to victory. It's more like, you know, Eli ha- was great and we're expecting him to like, you know, bring back that ener- that type of that type of play, that energy that he had when he won those two Super Bowls. And like that's not a realistic thing at this point. You know, we're 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 banking on a guy that, you know, succeeded when the last time in 2011. So, it's it's kind of a, a touchy a touchy subject. I know some people are really, you know, a little bit soft when it comes to Eli Manning. Um, but Daniel Jones is different. I think he can be a leader. He, he is more outspoken in that sense. Um, I think he has more intangibles, and he's equally as dull in the media, which is amazing. I, I don't want a guy that's going to be starting an entertainment company the second he's drafted or look like he was, you know, just was one number off from hitting the Powerball, you know, when he was, when he was drafted to Washington. So, you know, that, those kind of facial expressions are telling. Uh, I mean, not to say that Eli didn't do the same thing when the Chargers drafted him. He was like, oh, I'm not going there. Screw that. I'm going to the Giants. So, you know, <laughs> like, people do that. Players do that. But at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's not the best thing for, to see. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys feel the same way or not. I'll have to say that I disagree. I think Eli is a leader. I just don't think he's a vocal leader. I think he leads by example. He tries to keep a level head. He tries to be almost a silent assassin of sorts and just remain calm, not show his true emotions. I think that's a, an underrated aspect of being a leader is to make sure that everyone's calm and keeps their head and just stays together. And not it's not all about me. It's not about yelling at this guy, yelling at that guy. It's about building a unity. And I think that's what Eli tries to do. And I think that's what Jones is going to do. I don't think Jones is a very vocal player either, but that doesn't bother me necessarily. I, I don't mind the silent lead by example type quarterback. I think that's a pretty good route to go. Yeah, I think that's fine too. And there really are two factors with getting Jones on the field. Number one is how good he is and how much he's progressing. But part of it is Eli. Because if Eli is really taking steps backward and is going to produce similarly to a rookie quarterback, that's when you get Daniel Jones out there. They don't even have to be dead even with each other. If if Jones is just catching up significantly, that's that's when you do it. Right. I, I, the thing is, I don't f- agree with the sense that like a silent leader is good at 
this like going into his 15th season like i i like the idea of a silent leader in leading by example but eli doesn't really lead by example like he he doesn't make he's those, not playing well exactly that, that's my <laughs> point you know like he doesn't make those fourth quarter comebacks anymore like we haven't seen that in ages again i remember against indianapolis last year he threw an interception he had a great game and threw an interception when they needed to go down and score like you can't do that um, if you're trying to lead by example and being quiet, like you have to hold the guys that are protecting you accountable. Like, why do you think Eric Flowers sucks so much? No one was like, Eric, you suck. Start playing better. No one said that. Everyone was so quiet. Like, you know, uh, Jerry Reese was like trying to protect him at all costs because he, he was trying to protect his pride, which ultimately screwed us in the long run. And, you know, Eric Flowers is, is now bouncing around teams. He's probably going to be the starter on Washington now, which is amazing for us. Um, but, like, that's how I feel in, in the sense that when you're a leader, you know, you see Tom Brady and you see some of the players that he has, you're, they begin the season, you're like, they're going to suck. This, this unit is terrible. And then suddenly, they're one of the best tackles in the league. I, like, I forget uh, who it was, but Tom Brady was just yelling at, at guys, all, all his offensive line at the beginning of the season last year, and they suddenly pick it up. Like, pick it up and they go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Like, that is, that is how you, you lead in a, in a business because at the end of the day like the NFL is a business and these guys are getting paid a ton of money to p- perform that is their only goal like if you're playing in a high school game like I, f- I I get the idea like you shouldn't be yelling at your teammates because you know it's it's for fun but like at this level you're like y- your job is to protect me you're being paid millions of dollars if you're not doing that job then you know you're you're useless to me yeah, I would say you need to have a certain amount of fire to you because Eli has always been very respectable and, you know, there's certain pros and cons with every type of leader, but there's got to be a certain baseline of just outward passion because that really brings that really lifts your teammates. I, I didn't mean leading by example necessarily with his on-field performance, but his reaction to his performance. Maybe he'll throw a pick but he's not going to throw a temper tantrum. We saw Odell, you know, Eli throws a pick or maybe he fumbles, whatever happens, and he goes off and he throws his helmet and he kicks this, kicks that, and those are the distractions that the Giants want to avoid at all costs, and Eli understands that. So when he throws a pick, he just kind of shrugs it off his shoulder, not let it get to him, not be outwardly emotional. That's the type of lead-by-example that he tries to provide to the Giants because we really, I don't enjoy seeing the players freak out and throw temper tantrums on the sidelines. It just brings so much social media attention and all this other crap that I don't care to see. And when Eli just remains calm, that's him leading by example to, to uh, tell the rest of the team to stay calm and weather the storm. Right. And, you know, I agree, I agree with that. But at the same time, it's like Eli throws a shit ton of <laughs> interceptions. Sorry for my language, but he just <laughs> does. Like, he's not good all the time. And, like, that's where I, like, have to cross the line at a point where it's like, okay, you know, you can throw an interception, but when you're throwing three, you have to show some anger. Like, even if it's all on yourself, like, I don't want him kicking any, any nets or anything like that. But, like, even just going to the sideline and, like, just, like, kind of, like, yelling at himself or something, anything. Like, he just looks like he doesn't care anymore. Like, and I know he does care, but, like, he just looks like it, he, it doesn't affect him. And, like, he's so used to it. He's so used to fumbling. He's so used to throwing interceptions. So used to having a bad offensive line that it's, like, it doesn't affect him anymore. It, like, looks like his emotions are just so dull at this point. Um, but I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, I, I do like to have a player that, you know, can take that, take that mistake and, and, and bottle up and put it down and make sure the rest of the team doesn't see that. And I think that is definitely important and a, a good factor um, to add to the argument um, in the sense that Eli is a leader in that sense. But 
at the end of the day, I think Jones actually will be better because he he just has more of like a swagger to him in the sense that I, I don't think he will make as many mistakes, especially with the mobility that he, that he has. He won't be fumbling as much as Eli. I've seen Eli literally drop the ball. I know you guys have too. Like against, I remember this one play against Dallas. Like I, there was a guy running after him, and he just drops the ball. Like he, he didn't even try and tuck it; he just drops it. And it was. I a think fumble he tries turnover. throwing it, and it just completely fell out of his hand. Yeah, I, I don't want to even want to mm. dive into the left hand throws we've seen the make. <laughs> oh <laughs> man! None of those, none of those work out ever. So you know that that is just another addition to the Eli saga. But I'm not going to denounce the things that he's done and the success that he's had because he has been a very effective quarterback at times. And we haven't done him any favors by giving him such a poor offensive line over the years. So that is really where it comes into play. Um, the offensive line comes into play in, the, in, you know, this is his year to prove us, to prove to everybody that he can still operate at a high level with protection. Yeah, and this is something that I wrote about in an article like about a month ago. We should not want to see Daniel Jones play this year. If Daniel Jones doesn't play, that means that Eli has somehow magically regressed back to his old form and they're winning again. That's what we want to see. We want to see the Giants win. I had people on Twitter coming after me saying, no, I want to see Daniel Jones play. I don't want to watch Eli play anymore. And it's like if they're winning and Eli Manning is the quarterback and they're winning, that's what you should want to see is the team winning. You shouldn't just want to see Eli fail and watch Daniel Jones play. And that's something that fans don't seem to realize, and it irks me a little bit because I don't care who's at quarterback as long as the Giants are winning, and I want to see Eli win, and I want to see Daniel Jones win. So if Eli is winning, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I think ultimately we all you know want a winning season this year. I just think people don't really expect it, and you know we didn't expect it in two thousand seven either. So you know you still have to remain hopeful. But I think some fans are worried that Eli will be back in twenty twenty if if he plays well this year. So I think some just kind of want to rip the bandaid off in a way. Right. I, that fair makes enough. Sense. That makes sense. And and to be to be fair or more more real, people that don't like Eli right now simply want to get rid of him because they associate losing with him. And he is not the only reason this team has been bad. It, honestly, he's, he's far from the reason this team has been bad. I mean, I know I've, they could have a, a guy like Aaron Rodgers come in and you know turn over the roster, but how, how often do you find a guy like Aaron Rodgers and, and a guy that can perform and pick a team up when, they're, when everyone's playing poorly? That's, it's, not a, it's not a very frequent thing to come across. So what I'm trying to say is when you have a quarterback like Eli, you look at, you look at what you put around him and, and the resources you give him because he's very, very, very reliant on time. And when you give him a little, little amount of time, it really holds back the, the offense. The, the playbook is cut in half, essentially, because you can't... Let's say he has two seconds to throw the ball. That takes all the routes that require three seconds out of the playbook. So they have to now cut down the playbook to plays that only factor in those two seconds and build around that. So it really, really restricts, you know, Pat Shermer's ability to call the plays and operate the offense at a high level using the talent on the field. And I think that building this offensive line with, with Zeitler and, you know, Nate Solder and Will Hernandez and even Mike Remmers, who's going to be an upgraded right tackle, they are going to provide Eli with three or four seconds. And that opens up the playbook to so many more you know, schemes and, and, and routes and so many things they can do with Saquon Barkley. And that is a huge thing that I think people are underestimating that, you know, when you add that time and you, and you increase the, the efficiency of the offense, it's, it's going to see, we're going to see Eli play better 
I, I believe that 100%. Yeah, that's what we can all hope for. And I think that Kevin Zeitler being the best pass blocking guard in the, in the NFL is going to make a big difference. And that's going to be really helpful. And I hope that it helps Eli perform better. But it's also going to be really important whenever Daniel Jones gets to play because we've seen quarterbacks go in when they're not ready and maybe play behind a bad offensive line and it just kills their confidence and it's hard for them to come back from Josh Rosen being the most recent example and Jared Jared Goff was an example until he totally got a revamped offensive line and coaching staff he was awful his first year was it the first season yeah his first first, his rookie season he was terrible behind that awful offensive line and Jeff Fisher as his coach but then Sean McVay came in and they brought in Andrew Whitworth and he's a whole new guy Mm -hmm. yep Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I have some rookie quarterback numbers who actually played, and these are some of the better quarterback prospects. Andrew Luck had 23 passing touchdowns and 18 interceptions his first year. Carson Wentz had 16 passing touchdowns and 14 interceptions. And Jared Goff, yeah, in those seven games, he had five touchdowns and seven interceptions. So even the best of quarterback prospects come in and struggle right away. So. Mm -hmm. You know, we would be talking about a very bad version of Eli Manning if Daniel Jones was actually better. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, quarterbacks are so reliant on confidence. And, you know, stripping that, stripping that away from them with a bad offensive line is the worst thing you can do. That's why I'm kind of worried about Kyler Murray. And the reason that they think they can win without a good offensive line because they, they barely addressed that, that unit, um, the Arizona Cardinals, is because Kyler can run. And he is going to utilize that ability, and, and they're going to maximize that his value in that sense. Um, and you know, when you have a guy like Daniel Jones, you want to make sure and that his raw potential is protected, and that his confidence is protected, and then early on, so that he can develop and he's not taking hits and he doesn't develop bad habits. It's all about habits for quarterbacks because we've seen Eli look. Watch his feet. Eli's feet tell the entire story of how he's going to play. And last season, he was, he was like happy feet out there. Might as well just put him in happy feet three. So, you know, you see, you see what a quarterback, you know, can, what can happen to them if they have a bad offensive line, especially a pocket passer. So making sure that Daniel Jones is a pocket passer first and only utilizes his legs second because, you know, we've seen the injuries and what can happen when you have a quarterback running and not sliding and, and, and Jones... Uh, was didn't didn't really slide that well last year. I watched a few clips and he go, he dives headfirst into those um, into those challenges. So it, that's a big factor, and I think you guys are, are spot on. And the offensive line will help him, and they need to make sure that that unit is is secured once he takes over. Um, but okay, so I want to move on to the, the wide receiver three position and kind of break down what's going on there. We have Darius Slayton, Cody Latimer, and Corey Coleman there. All three good options. Darius Slayton actually was one of two players today to play with the first strings. The first rookies to actually play with the first string group during OTAs. So it was him and CJ, uh, yeah, CJ Conrad, uh, undrafted tight end, who I, I am absolutely in love with. The guy is going to be a star. I, I feel it in my gut. Um, the only reason he dropped out of the draft was because of a heart ailment that he succumbed to during the NFL combine process, and they found out that it was, it was not serious. So he is a steal for the Giants. Um, but Darius Slane was one of the guys that played with the first stringers during OTAs today, and this kid has developed at an astronomical rate. He, he entered, the, entered the OTAs in the beginning, dropping pretty much everything that went his way, and now he's catching everything that goes his way. Do you guys think that he actually can compete for the wide receiver three position, or do you think it's between Cody Latimer and Corey Coleman? 
I think right now Cody Latimer kind of has the job in place. He showed some really great things last year when he was on the field. The only problem is he had a lot of health problems. He was injured quite often, but there was multiple long receptions, couple touchdowns, one-handed catches. He really flashed his true potential. It's just about staying on the field with him. But Darius Slayton is a great big play threat. He averaged 19.5 yards per reception last season, and he has 4.3940 times speed. So I would love to see him get a chance, go out there, and be a big play receiver since Shepard and Tate are more possession guys. It would be great to see a nice deep uh, deep ball specialist in Slayton or even Coleman, but I think Latimer is the best bet right now. I actually agreed uh, a couple of weeks ago with that, but I'm starting to think Slayton does have a little bit of a chance, but I think he's actually facing Coleman now. I think, uh, like we've said, that third receiver is going to have to be a, a deep threat. And I think Slayton actually looks better with his route running, too, because in college I thought he was a little bit of stiff coming out of breaks, and he looks a lot more comfortable running those underneath routes now. Right, and I kind of want to you know, give my opinion on each receiver. Um, so with Darius Slayton, I love his speed. He had one of the fastest 40 times in the combine this year for wide receivers. And I think he can be a great guy in the wide receiver screen game. I don't really see him as a, as a great route runner yet. He needs to polish that side of his game. But he can be a deep threat straight away um, and a wide receiver screen threat. I think that's how they're going to utilize him right off the bat. Cody Latimer is more of a deep guy. We saw him run a lot of deep routes last year. Um, I don't think that he is necessarily the greatest route runner. He can He's a decent red zone threat, uh, more so than Slayton at this point. And Corey Coleman's kind of like... The guy you wish, you, the guy you wish was OBJ. Like he has incredible talent, and you know he was a first round pick, but he just never was able to live up to it. And that's kind of like where he's at in his career. Like I need to reach my potential. And he asked Pat Sherman the other day. He said, you know how how did how did you make Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen so good? What did you do to elevate them to this 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 high level of play? And how can you do that for me? And I think Coleman's finally realizing that a lot of his struggles have been mental. Um, he has good route running. He has solid hands. I think he's really failed to create separation, and that's where he's that's where he struggled. But I think you know with a bit of confidence, the guy is really fast. I think he needs a little bit more strength. But if he if he has that confidence and that and that desire to to you know be effective, he can steal that number three spot away from Cody Latimer pretty pretty easily. They're neck and neck right now, and I think that. You know, with Slayton being a rookie, he's kind of like the de, the de facto four or five guy. But um, Coleman really is is right there, and he just has to make those plays and show in the preseason that he you know can can elevate his game and play at that level that he's expected to and that he wants to. And I think that's the major thing. He wants to play at that level now, and he's he's showing more desire than he that he did in the past. He knows the playbook. You know, he only had like five catches last year for seventy one yards. So he was used really sparingly, but I think this is going to be his year to prove to all of us that he can play at a high level. Yeah, and I really hope it is because I would hate to see his potential get wasted. He was a first-round pick, like you said. So he clearly had potential. He was a great player coming out of college, but he just never developed into what he could be, and I would really like to see him make that leap this year. Well, the main reason, I think, has been health because he only played 10 games his rookie year, nine games in 2017, and then eight last year. And I just think he's caught a lot of bad luck because he actually broke his hand twice. Yep. And uh, But I actually think Latimer is going to fit in better 
more as a special teams guy, more like a wide receiver five, because he showed last year he's real good with special teams, and he plays a lot tougher than than Corey and Slayton do. And I, normally I don't like saying a rookie has a chance to be a third receiver, but they usually don't get first-team reps in minicamp, so I'm, I'm leaving that door open, but overall I think it'll be Coleman. Right. Okay. I mean, that that's, that's a fair assessment. I, I agree with you that Coleman will be the guy there. Um, but I want to move on to the defensive line and kind of talk about the interior of the line and the outside linebackers and who do we think is going to be impact players there and which actually, I guess, unit, whether it be the interior defensive line, Dexter Lawrence, B.J. Hill, R.J. McIntosh, Dalvin Tomlinson, or the out, the outside linebackers in O'Shane Eximenez, Marcus Golden, and Lorenzo Carter. Wh- which of those groups are going to be more impactful on the season defensively, who's going to create more pressure, you know, get to the quarterback more. I, I know that, you know, the outside linebackers kind of have that advantage because they're specialized pass rushers, but they're expecting guys like Dexter Lawrence and BJ Hill to penetrate the, the uh, in the trenches and get to the quarterback. So I think, you know, it's fair to say that they're going to be pretty influential in all categories, but do, which unit do you think is actually going to have more of an impact um, on the opposing offensive line and quarterback? I think the defensive line, I think the Giants have a really underrated defensive line. I think it's one of the best young defensive lines in the league. I wrote about that a couple weeks ago. I think Dexter Lawrence, I wasn't too excited about the pick at the time because I thought that he really lacked as a pass rusher. But then once I really dove in and saw some more from him, he's a solid pass rusher. He's very underrated. If he can drop his weight down a little bit, he could really be a great He's two-way huge. player. Yeah, he is just the hog molliest of the hog mollies. 342 <laughs> pounds. He's going to stuff the run. He's going to he's gonna fill the, the hole that was left once we traded away Damon Harrison, but he's also going to provide more pass rush than Damon Harrison ever did. True. So I really like that about him. I think Dalvin Tomlinson is super underrated. He had... I, he's been really good the past two seasons. He's had he had 24 stops last year. Uh, he had the longest active streak of tackles without a miss with 60. He's wow. just really consistent, and he doesn't get enough uh, enough of the spotlight. And B.J. Hill, I think he's a rising star. Five and a half sacks, 50 tackles. I, what more, what more can you ask for from a third round rookie? I I think they're going to be really impactful this year and moving forward. Yeah, honestly, I think the defensive line is going to be much better than the outside linebackers, and I think they might even produce more sacks. Mm. Um, And the last time Dexter Lawrence played a full healthy season, he had six sacks. So, you know, that's pretty decent for a guy that's his size. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson, I don't think we'll get a ton of rush from him, but I do expect it from B.J. Hill, like you said. Uh, yeah, these, these linebackers, I think they're going to need a lot of help from the interior to kind of push quarterbacks their way. Right, and, you know, looking at Dexter Lawrence's weight and height right now, this guy is 6'4", 342 pounds, and comparing him to Vince Wilfork, who's basically like a bowling ball in the middle of the defensive line, or what he used to be, was 6'2", 325. So he's significantly bigger than Vince Wilfork, and I think that's something to note if he can you know refine his technique and and really create that pass rush element you know add that element to his game he can be so influential on the interior i i I don't think they're actually going to utilize him as a nose tackle i saw them actually lining him up on the right side of the defensive line although they're putting the three four now they had dalvin tomlinson in the middle bj hill on the left 
um, interchangeable on the right and the left with Dexter Lawrence. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see because they're not really bottling him up in the middle and putting him over the center. They're kind of using him on the outside. So if he can get that speed, like you said, lower his weight a little bit, he can be incredibly impactful. Um, and, and it's going to open up the game for the outside linebackers as well because it's going to take the offensive linemen away from those assignments. So it, it'll, it'll really leave the running backs and the tight ends um, to block guys like Eximenez, Marcus Golden, and Lorenzo Carter. And Carter, I think, is going to be deadly. This kid is so lanky. It's insane. And he has so much raw potential here that I think that he's going to be one of the breakout guys on the defense. And everyone's kind of expecting that. So hopefully he can live up to that potential. But he looked good last year. I liked the speed and the athleticism he showed. Um, but he's just got to be more consistent. And that's kind of with the, the story with all of them. And being rookies, we'll, we'll, we'll cough it up to just inexperience. But guys like B.J. Hill, Lorenzo Carter, they showed flashes of, of you know, serious quality. And I'm really excited to see where they go with that quality and if they can emerge as like dominant players for the next few years. Because that's like what you want to do with a team that's rebuilding is you want to build through the draft. And being that all these guys are draft picks, that is so exciting. I, I can't express enough you know, how well um, Dave Gettleman has drafted up to this point. I know we haven't seen the rookies this year compete yet but last year's draft was just unreal the talent that we got i can't i can't even tell you with bj hill saquon barkley will hernandez like some of these guys lorenzo carter these guys are 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 excellent excellent and they're gonna only progress and i I am so excited to see where they go with with, um their potential but okay so the last thing i want to do is i want to play a game and christian do you kind of want to run down what this game is with the position battles yeah, so we'll look at position battles where basically it's basically like the most interesting one to us. And this one is going to be Corey Coleman and Cody Latimer for me, like we were talking about already. Um, it, like we said, it's going to have to be a deep threat. But I think Coleman just has so much more draft pedigree and potential to be a better player. So I think... I think Latimer is going to end up being wide receiver five, like I said, and end up being a core special teamer. Yeah, for me, I think the most interesting position battle is probably tight end. I think Evan Engram, he's obviously the starting tight end when he's healthy. That's something that he's been lacking over the past two seasons that he's been in. He, uh, he, he missed first few games of the season this year came back then missed a few more games if I'm remembering correctly and I think he missed the beginning of his rookie season too but if he could stay healthy he's the number one tight end but what happens when he goes down do we go with Fred Ellison or do we go with this new undrafted rookie CJ Conrad he was getting reps with the with the uh, starters at minicamp or today and I think he's got great potential, and I'd like to see who becomes the number two tight end in case Evan Engram goes down. Uh, will Will it be Ellison or C.J. Conrad? Right, and they still have Scott Simonson that signed to a one-year deal as well. So I, I don't think he's a starter per se. He can block and pass, but like like you said, you know, C.J. Conrad's really interesting, mm-hmm. and going to be interesting to see how he develops within you know that starting group because it's it's kind of cool to see have all this talent in one spot but my issue with it is that all of them have different talents you know i want to i want to have a t- one tight end that can do it all like a, like a greg a george kittle whoever it may be that you know can block at a high level but can also catch passes and cj conrad has the size to block but he's also caught everything thrown his way so i'm excited to see where that goes but I, so i agree with that but for me it's a little bit 
interesting my position battle of choice. It's the money backer position, and that's one that James Betcher coined. It's a guy that plays linebacker. It's essentially an oversized safety that plays covered linebacker. And there's two kind of players that are not really known that well. Mark McLaurin, who's a rookie this year, and Tay Davis uh, from last year's draft. He was also an undrafted rookie last year. These two players are going to essentially be battling it out. Last year, they had Alec Ogletree kind of playing that money backer role. He was shifting around the field and kind of following tight ends. Um, and he's terrible in coverage, d despite having five interceptions and two taken for a touchdown. He's not a good cover guy. He was burned over and over again. So I'm really excited to see what Tay Davis and Mark McLaurin can do here. McLaurin's a rookie, but he's looked good so far um, coming from Mississippi State. He's a, a former safety, so I kind of like that duo and what they're going to do. I see Davis kind of winning out, in my opinion, and you know having more of an impact in the pass game and the nickel packages or, and so forth. So I'm excited to see what happens there because that's a really influential position for the Giants, especially in James Betcher's scheme. They need a guy that can a linebacker that can cover playing in the three four using outside linebackers to rush the passer. It takes a lot of guys out of the secondary, so they need to have a guy that you know is plays linebacker that can cover tight ends and running backs in the flat has some speed. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going with it. Do you guys want to add anything else? Yeah, I'd just like to say, you know, on that point, I think B.J. Goodson is definitely on notice here. I know he was a somewhat high draft pick, and there was high expectations, but if they're only carrying three inside linebackers, I don't know if he makes the team. I think B.J. Goodson makes the team. I just don't think he's like a money backer. I think he's more of like a backup to Alec Ogletree, because I think Ogletree's better in the run, and that's where he should be playing, um, closer to the line of scrimmage. I think B.J. Goodson's injury prone we've seen him have 17 tackle games against dallas like he has potential he just dis disappears at times you know I, like last year he played a, most of the season and i don't even remember seeing him so that's not a good sign well from a roster construction standpoint you normally keep three so it might come down to him or mclaurin or him and davis but i say mclaurin goes to the goes to the practice squad just in my opinion i think it's davis most likely that. yeah it's Which is not a bad likely. thing. It's not a bad thing. I mean, having a guy, because like, linebackers go down all the time, just rolled up ankles or whatever it may be. So, you know, having a guy that can come out and start immediately on the practice squad isn't a bad thing. I think that's probably where he's headed. But, all right. I think we're all wrapped up here. Thanks again for listening, guys. And thanks to our co-hosts, Anthony Rivardo and Christian Morrell. As always, it was a great time. Have an, an amazing day, and we'll catch you next week.